Rob and Carolyn Foster both graduated from Bethel College. They served in Asia for over 30 years, leading semester abroad trips and different leadership roles. Rob is currently leading Pioneer Hong Kong, which has mobilized over 50 Chinese and Mongolians into missions. Carolyn is a mentor and a seasoned spiritual director who completed her training at North Park Seminary in Chicago. Rob is an author champion of non-Western cross-cultural leaders. He's a leadership coach who earned a master's from Notre Dame Mendoza School of Business and his doctorate at Educational Leadership for Azusu Pacific University. He loves being close to the water and dreaming with friends about taking over the world for Jesus. Please welcome to the stage, Rob Foster. It's great to be with you today. Um, just, it is a homecoming for me because this is the home church that I grew up in from elementary on. And uh, some of you may not know Carolyn and I, but some of our closest friends are in this church. So it's really exciting to be with you today. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer before we read our scripture for today. Father, I thank you that we can be in this place to worship you today. Father, I ask that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Father, I thank you for your love to us, giving us your word, and that you desire to meet with us and touch every heart this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey of my life, and um, it's a short life. No, it's not a short life, but I was a little nervous more than normal preparing for this message because I'm trying to get so there's so many stories rattling around my head, rattling around in my head of what God has done over the last 30 years. But one thing that is easy to say is thank you. You have been a church that has journeyed with us for three decades and supported our ministry as we shared around the world. And part of my work now is working with pastors and helping sending out missionaries from China and Mongolia, and to find churches that have the stability and the ability to support even for a few years without the ups and downs that happen in so much church life around the world and even around our country that I would just like to thank Bill Hostler, who will be here in a few weeks, Gary, who was here for a short time, and Phil, who has served the last two decades, that their faithful service has really been the backbone that has allowed us to have prayer and support. And I'm just so appreciative of that. I wanted to say that right off the bat. The scripture we're looking at today is 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It goes like this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't worry, this is not a giving message today. It's actually a message about thank you for giving, allowing your generosity to allow good works to abound around the world. One thing that I like about this scripture is that very last part. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That having all that you need depends a lot on what you're doing. I grew up 
uh, as I mentioned, in this area as a very ordinary kid, maybe average, to be honest, probably a below average, a little speech impediment at kindergarten. First grade, they had the reading groups that helped you not feel bad. They, had, they named fish names. You had the sharks, you had the fish, and the minnows. Anyone that knows anything about fish, the sharks eat the fish, the fish eat the minnows, and the minnows are just chum. I was a minnow. And it wasn't, it wasn't pretty going through school. All the pullout classes were me, right up through sixth grade until they stopped. And, but by the time I got to high school, I was a much more rounded student. Um, I, one report card, I had an A in gym class, B, C, D, and an E on a final exam. So that was well-rounded in my family. Um, it worked though because we were much more of a sports family and so sports were kind of more important in those days and so I, I made it through. But average even in sports. My brother was, they called him Lou for Lou Ferrigno because his, he was so big. Lou Ferrigno used to be the Incredible Hulk, the first one, before they CG'd it and made him incredibly, ridiculously large. Um, and my younger brother played college ball. So I say I'm ordinary, and everyone's like, well, we can see that you're ordinary. But the reason I'm saying that is because as I share some of the things that God has done, it is extraordinary. And that's what happens when ordinary people combined with an amazing God try to accomplish things. Well, the first thing I remember saying when I was accepting uh, making a serious commitment to Jesus about age 13, it was in the sanctuary back there, and I was watching Christians around me, and they were excited, and I was just kind of living on the fence. And I remember finally saying, giving in to Christ, saying, Lord, I am willing to live a boring Christian life, but I'm going to surrender my life to you. I think God took that as a personal challenge, that he would make my less, life less boring than anyone that I possibly graduated with. And I just went to my 40th class reunion and met with all those old people. And in that place, I'm like, truly, my life is a little bit different than it would have been if I would have just, if I would not have followed Jesus. So going from high school, uh, a few of us went over to Marysville our junior and senior year to do sports, the Palmateer boys um, and a few others because of what things happening with sports here in Michigan, in Port Huron. But at that time, God put on my heart again to follow him and to start a Bible study in the high school. And the same thing that things happened that way in Northern. And then in junior college, I went to SC4 over here. I barely got in. But I went there and at that school, I was able to, we were able to see a little mini revival happen in the city. Just in the first service, a guy named Kim, Tim said, oh, I was at Ross Bible, but I remember going over to your house for bonfires, and we'd share about Jesus, and didn't you, like, take Bibles in China or something? I said, yeah, those were great parties, weren't they? Yeah. People would come up from Detroit, over from Yale, because God was doing a work here. 50 people would gather in a home on a Friday night from all the churches. And it also overflowed to this church with Colonial Woods. I didn't remember asking him this, but Dan Blythe said, you came up to me and said, would you be willing to pray about leading a college group for us here at this church? And he didn't think he could do it because of his schedule and things like that, but he was willing and he prayed. So we have some pictures of the college group. These are old pictures of people you might know. You got Lisa in the center and all of us looking thin. To those who are still thin and in good shape, take pictures because it doesn't last long. <laughs> the next picture, you see Lisa's right in the middle in this one. The next picture, 
The funny thing is, they're dressed like the 60s or the 70s. They look more normal in this picture than they do in the normal ones. The next picture, again, has Lisa in the center. I don't know what that's about. But, um, and I don't know why, Anne, I'm trying to kill you. But uh, it was just, it was an amazing time. And my wife is in this one. We weren't dating yet. But um, I'll talk about her a little bit more later. So uh, thankful for that time because... I was experiencing supernatural life already because early on someone said, God needs our availability more than our ability. And that this generation of believers is responsible for this generation of souls. And I took those in that thought seriously. I said, Lord, I, I may not be very special, but I, I can be available. And I just started following Jesus. In the middle of this revival, I felt like the Lord calling me to go overseas. And I thought also calling me to maybe go into full-time ministry. And going overseas meant I could stretch my heart out by seeing the needs of the world before I went and studied the Bible and just filled my head up. So where I went at first was Hong Kong, India, Kenya, and South Africa. It was just an evangelism trip. We spent about a month in each place. It was over five months, and we saw amazing things. We started off in India, and actually that was a very hard place. I got really sick. I thought, I could die here. And um, I didn't die. That was nice. And then we went on from there to Kenya, where as we shared the gospel, people just came forward. The openness of that country, because the seeds had been planted by missionaries years before, their hearts were open to receive the gospel. We went on there to Kenya, I mean South Africa, and in that place we saw supernatural miracles because we worked with a man who had a ministry of building wells for the poor communities because they only had cisterns of water and the animals and would eat it, drink out of it, and the animals would get sick and the people would get sick. So he'd build these systems to have clean water. They called him the man of living water. But then he would go to these same villages and preach the gospel and pray for the sick and God healed the sick we saw people who one boy who was blind we prayed for him and he was able to see a leg swollen leg go down um, he, we went to this witch doctor cruel where the witch doctor puts fetishes on people and God was healing people in even in the midst of that situation we went to one village where he said, this is a new village. I've not gone there very much. I'm not sure what to expect. And in that, a person manifested a demon. And then the, they cast out the demon. So I, I saw these things. I experienced these things. I thought, God, I've seen everything I wanted to see from the Bible. I've seen revival, miracles. I could die now. I don't have a wife. I don't have a dog. I don't have a truck. I mean, what do I have to live for? Take me home. I've, it's great. <laughs> He didn't take me home, um, but he also, in that time in South Africa, he put a petition on my heart. It was in the height of the apartheid riots, and the uh, rules over governing South Africa were um, not fair. They're very unjust. And so as I left South Africa, God encouraged me to start praying for them. And so my petition prayer was very simple. God, raise up godly leaders and bring down the unjust in South Africa. God, raise up godly leaders and bring down the unjust. And so that was a prayer I prayed for nine years. Nine years later, I was praying at one time, and I felt this burden to stop praying. I kind of said, Lord, I've prayed that for nine years. It's really no big deal. It's a short prayer. I can keep doing that. And I, it just felt awkward. So I said, okay, I'll stop. 
Less than a week later, my daughter's third birthday party was happening. And a friend came up to me and said, you know, you were in South Africa, right? I said, yeah. He said, did you know that they reversed the apartheid laws? It was in 1994. And I thought, I did that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. There might have been a couple other people praying along the way, but I got to be a part of that because of a petition prayer. And I'm so glad God told me before I stopped that I, need, I should stop because that really gave me that confidence that petition prayers work. The next time I got back to Hong Kong, I was supposed to go home, but I felt, no, I feel I'm supposed to stay longer. Had no money. People started this candy bar ministry, putting candy bars in my mail slot because I had no money to buy them. A few weeks later, people heard about my need at a prayer group, people from this church, the Marks family. And they said, that's where our tithe is supposed to go. Must have been a nice, not, not tithe, gift, I'm sorry. They didn't give me their tithe. No one does that, only gifts. Um... <laughs> I'm kidding. So anyway, they gave me, they gave me that money to, and it, I was able to do the next six months. And that six months, I went into China, and I went into Tibet. We didn't see miracles. We didn't see hundreds of people saved. It was a place where the gospel had not been, it hadn't been open for years. The cities we went to weren't even open for foreigners to come into. One of the cities, which was about five million or so, um, double, triple that now, it had never seen foreigners enter in 30 years. So we were the first ones in. But God burdened my heart for China, gave me friends in each city to share the gospel with, one-on-one. -on -one. And as we left that country, one person saw a can of Coca-Cola. It was the only foreign product they'd seen in the whole place in three months. No comfort food. I didn't even see the can, but I heard it was there. And I thought, Lord, I think I could live here. Not that I need Coke, but I just thought, my heart started to call me to go there. Lord, I think I could raise a family here. And this country feels like it's pregnant with the opportunity for the gospel to be birthed here. And so that's how I left China. I came back here. I met my wife. And the exciting thing was she was also called to missions. She was determined not to date anyone that wasn't planning on going on missions, which really helped me out because it really narrowed her choices. So um, it worked good. I married up. A number of us, I know most of the guy friends here, the palmeteers and all, we all married up, and that helped the gene pool for our kids a lot. Um, God did amazing things in those times. But we, we spent a couple years, uh, she was at Bethel College at the time, finished her degree in four, took me seven. And, but I married into Bethel, and those two years, uh, I finished an education degree, we had a baby, and then we went back to China. The deja vu thing is my daughter has about a six-month-old baby, and in a week and a half, her and her husband are leaving for South Spain. And we're seeing them go through these same things, and hearing about you guys supporting them is just really exciting for us. Those years in China were, were great. We did a lot of things. I, the best way I could describe it is we were available. And whatever God brought to the door, we did marriage counseling. We led teams. We shared the gospel with friends. One of the, at one point, we started these semester abroad programs with Bethel University because we thought we can only share with so many people. But if we bring more students in, they could share. 
So we started a China program. Then we started a Pacific Rim program where they'd be down in South Asia, then come back up to China. And these programs were exciting. We, our goal was that they would share their gospel with others, but also in their own lives, it would transform them. It wouldn't just be a good semester, but it would be a, a changing semester for them. Some of these went on to do uh, uh, great things. I remember one time we were in a city of Xi'an in central China and reaching out to these street kids. Street kids are street kids because some boss goes to a village and says, who is not taking care of their kids? Whose mother ran away? Who are the drunkards? And they would go to these people and say, you know, uh, I'll take your kid to the city, give them a job, and you can have some money. Sure, take them. And then these kids are in bondage. They start by selling roses at night or giving a bucket and a rag. And the people say, bring me money at the end of the day. So the kids are out, they're vulnerable, they're taken advantage of, and they're abused. One of these boys was willing to come back with us to the city. He was willing to escape in a sense. And so we brought him back on the train with these students. And I remember at one point we were going back to the apartment where all the students were. The students went on ahead and I was just walking with this boy. And then the elevators weren't working, so we walked up the stairwell. And I noticed as we were walking up the stairwell, he was getting more and more anxious. I looked back at his face, and I could tell he was really nervous and getting scared. And I thought, he doesn't know. He's thinking he's walking back into the bondage and maybe something worse than what he just left. And we got to the top of the stairs, and I opened the door to our apartment, and all the students were in there, and I just watched his face go, you know, it wasn't what he had feared. But seeing on his face in that moment what his world was like just affected me. I remember one girl that was on that program, met her a few years later, and she is like the point person for the foster care system. Anytime there's a baby they don't know where to send, they call her because she never says no. Her husband's like, we have to say no sometime, but she just has such a heart, and we've, these students have done amazing things. One girl, Jenny Dyer, it was Jenny McGee now, she started, uh, she came into two of our programs, and she started a ministry called Starfish Project. If you go to Bethel College, there's a plaque on the wall, Alumni of the Year, but that project helps girls in Beijing who were involved in prostitution get uh, a job, they make jewelry, they sell it, helps them transition out of that into a new life and a healthy life. We have people that have become pastors, and the story goes on and on of things that God did in those years in China. At one point, God calls us, called us to kind of step out of China and move on to Thailand. We thought it would be a little slower pace, but as we got there, we started doing what I'm doing now of training Chinese and Mongolians to go out and serve. But there also wasn't a church on our side of town. So we decided, let's, uh, let's try to do a church. We, met, we meet in the zoo, so you park by the drafts, you hear the lions roar. We did not have, in the seven years I pastored, no children were eaten. So that was, that was one of our goals. No fingers were lost. But it was. It was not the safest place to have a church. But God gave Carolyn and I a season to really love on other Christian leaders, to support people that were doing amazing work. For 15 of our years overseas, I basically served as a youth pastor. And the seven years there, also youth pastor and the senior pastor. At first, it started off slow, 
but we're able to have 12 different nationalities a part of this church. Two Chinese churches were launched out of it. A Thai church was incubated there and launched out. And by the time we left, there was over 300 people, just about 300 attending on a Sunday morning. But of these people, they were, they were leaders of these different organizations. And it was just to think that little Robbie, who basically can't, still can't spell, is able to support and encourage these leaders is because we were available and God added to who I was and who Carolyn is so that we could support these people. In our home, we had our couch and another couch we called the crying couch because that's where people share their hearts and share their hurts. We were able to do that and we're very blessed by it. I want to look at another scripture because God, when we say yes to him, blesses us. And this scripture is Psalms 67, 1 and 2. It's, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among nations. This is a scripture some people call the top line and bottom line blessing. It's that way because God blesses us. In the verse, first scripture we read, it talks about God blessing us, but then it prepares us to give away. This talks about God blessing us and him preparing that to us to give away. In order for us to be blessed by the Lord is we accept the Lord. He wants to pour blessing on us. That's pretty easy. In order for us to accomplish the second line and then so that the nations may know and return that blessing to others, we have to understand three very important things. And these are things about ourself, about our identity. And the first is, you are not what you do. The second is similar, a little bit different, but you are not what people say about you. And the third is you are not what you have or have accomplished. Most of the world, that is what they are. That is who they are. But as believers in Christ, we are so much more than that. The reason why I say you cannot accomplish the second line blessing if you don't understand these things is because you need all the blessings if this is who you are to, so that people speak well of you. You need to have all those blessings with you if that's who you are because you need to accomplish, make as much as you can and accomplish as much as you can and have a legacy that people will respect. But God has a higher calling for us who believe in Jesus. And that is found in 1 Peter 2.9. And that is, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We can be what we do or what people say about us, or we can be royal. We can be holy through Jesus and we can be his special possession. And if we can embrace that, you can enjoy hearing stories of great things being done and think, oh, I'm, I'm more, I'm special. God has unique things for me. I never have to compare myself to something else or someone else. 
because my identity in Christ is so much bigger than anything I can accomplish here on earth or anything I can save up or compare myself to. But we have to remind ourselves of that of every single day. And if we do, you'll change people around your lives because you'll start to be able to give more. You'll be more attentive to the spirits flowing through you to others. I was sharing a number of stories of what God did. China, those years we were there from, first time I was there in 1985 to 2015 when we left, it went from almost no visible church to a church as big as 3,000 in the city of Beijing that was considered an underground church. They say by the year 2030, China will be the largest population of Christians in the world even surpassing the United States. They have four-time our population, so they won't have the same percentage, but that is one of the places where Christianity is growing the most. So not only did I take down apartheid, I birthed the church in China. So that, that's, all, that's all I did those few years. We, we did our best. It was so special to be a small part of what God was doing among so many people to see things happen. And to be honest, to share stories of what God is doing miraculously, I would, didn't have to go back 20, 30 years. I spent two weeks in uh, the last couple weeks overseas in Mongolia, and then some of the time in Thailand. And even the things that God did those two weeks were enough for me to say, God is miraculous. God is amazing, and God loves us. He's chasing after us. On the way home, I'm talking about these things overseas, the needs of people, the hurts of people, countries with millions of people that are just suffering without any hope in Christ, any hope in the society around them. But on the way home, I sat by uh, a young gal with myself, an empty seat, and then her, and she started sharing her life. After a couple hours, I said, you know, these counseling sessions in planes are always awkward because when we walk off, people real, we all realize we don't really know each other. Do we talk at baggage claims? Don't we? Do we walk together? Don't we? But it happens where you go so deep sometimes on these 14-hour flights, if you just start asking people questions about who they are and where they're from and what they're doing, people want to share their hearts. And this girl's heart was heavy. The last month was the first month she was sober or not on drugs in seven years. And she was going back to try to walk that out in victory. She wasn't even telling her friends she was coming home because she didn't want to get back in the same crowd. In the course of our conversation, I kind of let her know that I, I'm a Christian and things like that. And it surprised me, but she said, I grew up in a Christian home. It was a bad home, abusive. She said, at age 14, I love Jesus. And then 15, she was very much failed by people in authority over her. And I tell you, my heart was broken. She asked a hard question that people that are hurt like that at a young age ask. Why? Why me? Why didn't God... You know, why isn't my life different? Why didn't God protect me? Not good answers for that. Hard answers for that. 
all I could do is talk to her in tears and say, I am so sorry. And then go on to try to say, but Jesus is still good. He did this crazy thing called giving us free will. Really a rough gamble. We'd like to take it away from everybody else, but keep it for ourselves. We like judgment on everyone else, but mercy for ourselves. But when you see the suffering of those around us, it makes us think, makes me think, God, we need a lot of available people. We don't need a lot of gifted people who are busy and have all their stuff and they're accomplishing all these things. We need people who are saying, God, if it's true, you need availability more than ability. I'm, I'm available. And then you watch as he gives you the ability to do the things that he needs done. And there's a lot of things that need to be done in this world, a lot of hurting people all around you. The 60s were bad. This generation doesn't seem a lot better. There's some crazy stuff out there. But in the midst of, we don't need to cloister ourselves. We need to just start asking our waitresses, the people at the bank, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how's your day? And be listening. And let the love of Jesus flow through you to those around you. And so I just kind of close with a question. Are you available? Would you thank Rob and Carolyn for 30 plus years? I'm struck because the theme of today was the power of an investment made and it's so exciting to know that We've all invested in the end of apartheid and also the birth of the church in China. Thank you. I'm glad. But uh, it was funny when you said it. It wasn't when I said it. <laughs> now you know how I feel every single week. I love when Rob just simply said, um, God leads the available. It's not about the ability. And I'm been impacted now twice listening is that when you hear someone start talking about different things that have happened over a course of years it didn't happen in the first week we get overwhelmed when we hear some of these stories thinking man what could you do in my life God and, and, and we think it has to happen in just a short amount of time wherever it's at being available saying yes and God knows how to lead you in the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step if you're just willing to let him lead you in this step. Our children are young adults and I keep talking to them about the power of time. That if they just start preparing now for retirement, just do a little, just a little over time. Some of you are younger. Some of you are just getting started on the journey. Others, you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm kind of middle-aged. I don't have that many years left. Yeah, just start. Just start. And watch what God will do in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years if you're just available. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thanks so much for the testimony. Those who've been faithful to the harvest. And Lord, continue to speak to our hearts, challenge our hearts, call our hearts. I, one thing I noticed in that passage Rob was talking about is he says, who called you out of darkness. We're a called people. We have a mission. 
you've called us to be on mission. Whatever that mission is for your glory and your honor. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Would you stand with me? Turn to several folks. Wish them a great October. <laughs> if you'd like to pray with someone, we've got prayer partners that would love to pray with you.